And Father, I just pray that we would be a people who would be passionate about worshiping you. Just as truly, Father, as the next meal that we have as we crave that, the next breath of air, that Father, the next opportunity that we have, just to give you praise, that Father, that would be at the forefront of our mind and deep within our soul. So Lord, we pray for tonight once again as we look at your word and we see, Father, people who have ignored you and refused to worship you, Lord, and we see the peril that they've that has come upon them. I pray pray, Father, that it would not be so with us, that we would give to you our heart in this place tonight, again, that you would be honored and glorified, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you turn and greet one another? Greetings. Way to sing hungry. Hi, Linda. How are you? Hi, Zanny. Sean is uh, ministering to his mother tonight, and Sal had a minor, not so much surgery, but a procedure, and so Sal's unable to be here. So I'm doing the bulletin tonight, so I'm just going to go through it just very quickly. Um, our schedule on the left there, this week at CCO, you see our morning service. This coming Sunday morning, I'm going to be giving a Mother's Day message, but last week we started in the book of James, having completed Hebrews, and so we'll be going through the book of James. We're just going to be plowing through the epistles all the way through to the book of Revelation. After we finish the book of Revelation, I'm planning on doing Genesis and Exodus, and then see where the Lord leads us from there on Sunday morning, but that's my plan. So this week, Mother's Day study, we will not be having an evening service this Sunday night. So this Sunday night at 6 o'clock, we will not be having service. Um, Wednesday, we're, we have men mobilized. The guys get together for a meal in time of studying God's Word. We're in 1 Corinthians. Thursday, obviously, tonight we're in Jeremiah. Um, after we finish Jeremiah, we're going to do Lamentations. After that, I'm going to go into one of the Gospels. I'm not sure which one yet, either Mark or Luke. That's my plan for Thursday evening. Um, Saturday, you see, we have small groups, men's small groups that meet. And we do have a church service that meets on Sunday morning, I'm sorry, Saturday mornings. It's at the Convalescent Home. That's a ministry that was started within a couple of months of our church starting. So that's been going on for close to 20 years. Under the events, we see pray. We must be a church who is deep within prayer. And so... We have prayer before our services. Men and women both meet for prayer at 9 o'clock. The women meet in the high school room. The men, we meet in the, I I meet with them, we meet in the 4th, 5th, and 6th grade room. And then every day during the work week, we stop and have prayer at noontime. We meet for prayer. Uh, Your prayer requests as they go out, we'll be praying for the weekly prayer requests this week as they go out on the internet. We gather them together on Thursday night. We need to be a church of prayer, and so we seek to fulfill that commission that God has given us. You see the thank you that has been placed in the bulletin, and I thank you for the help that everybody gave for the woman's spring luncheon. It was an astounding success. I see the opportunities here for service and sound and presentation ministry. Those are ministries you get to still sit in the sanctuary and hear the word. It's the words that are put, as far as presentation, the words that are put up on the screen and the sound is in the board in the back, just the adjustments and just keeping the sound going. You will be trained in that if that's something, a direction that the Lord is leading you in. But anyway, those opportunities are there as well as children's ministry teaching our kids the Word of God. You see the Save the Date there, Couples Retreat. We have a Couples Retreat that is going to be upcoming in October, October 12th through the 14th. We will be taking sign-ups soon, and you'll get more information on that. 
Um, again, in the bulletin, you see there, Mother's Day, that is this Sunday. Uh, today, we, I believe we reserved the rooms. We're going to be having our men's fishing trip. That's going to be at the end of August. There will be more information forthcoming on that. Children's ministry is having what they call a family get-together. This is a time after service, a week from this Sunday on the 20th. And it's really just to introduce the families to the curriculum, what our children are learning. And the idea is, is that the parents get familiar with with the crafts, get familiar with the curriculum, so that during the week they're able to support that. There's even opportunities for family devotions um, that is based upon the curriculum and what the children are learning. We want to get the word integrated into the home and into the child's life every day of their life. Save the date. This is no longer so much a save the date. This is coming. Vacation Bible School. Our year, yearly vacation Bible school is coming upon us. It's going to be July 16th through 20th. Uh, I believe there's a sign-up sheet at the sign-up table. We're taking sign-ups for help for that. We're starting to gear up for one of the biggest things that we do. You see Dinner and Devotions. That's coming up this 19th, this Saturday. Uh, a week, actually, from this Saturday. Um, you do need to sign up for that. And really what it is, it's a designed to be a time of fellowship. Dinner and devotions, a group of people, we assign you to a home. You go in there, you fellowship for a time. There's a devotion giving, and then you guys gather around for a meal. You do, there's no cost, but you do need to sign up for that. You see the various other uh, announcements that are listed there. Keep in mind, Josh and Amber, they're in Indonesia ministering there, as well as Jake and Christina. Jake and Christina are still working towards going to India. They've raised, last I heard, I believe it was about 60% of the support that they need. Uh, after they get to 75%, then something else kicks in, and then it's going to be at that point that they're going to be able to go. Um, so just keep that up in prayer. Sometimes it can so easily be out of sight, out of mind. As far as giving, we need to understand that our giving, our giving is to be an expression of worship. Yes, it does support the church and the various things that the church does and supports the hungry and supports the needy and all of these things, and all of these things are important, but really our main motivation needs to be worshiping the Lord. In Psalm 138, verse 2, it says, I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. And so, based upon God's word, as we study it, an expression needs to be worship. An expression of God's word going deep within our hearts has to be worship. And as we worship the Lord, we do so in so many different ways, just surrendering ourselves to him through song, through prayer, through praise, and through our giving. And so obviously in the evenings we don't take an offering here, but we do have the agape box in the back if you want to worship the Lord in that capacity. As I stated, we have an email prayer request prayer chain at our church, and if you want to be part of the people who pray, or if you want something prayed for, you'll need to email Teresa. That's mrsturin at gmail.com. That information is in the bulletin, and then we gather the ones that have come across our email on Thursday night, and we pray for them one last time, and so we'll be doing that tonight. We've only had four of them this week. Last week we had about 12 of them. It just depends what's going on during the week. But the first one was Donna and her friend Anita. She had a possible heart attack, and Donna asked for prayer. And last, Donna did give a praise report. It's not, it's, I guess they still don't know if it really was a heart attack. Or, yeah, but, but nonetheless, she, we need to continue to keep her up in prayer. She is doing better. Um, Henry... Henry, we've been praying for his prosthetic, um, but Henry is, he's on life support. I went to see him earlier today. Um, we, he first went into the hospital, it's over two weeks now, and he's basically been on life support for two weeks. They're going to do a tracheotomy on him now, last I, I, well, they were talking about it today. They're trying to get him set up so he's able to go home, but he's not by any stretch of the imagination getting any better or even really doing any better. He's pretty much in a drug-induced coma, so you just need to continue to pray for him, pray for his family. Obviously, Henry, we need to pray for Henry and, and that God would meet him in that hospital and God would be his peace and God would be his comfort. We need to pray for his family as well because that's very difficult on them also. 
Jeff and Desiree asked for prayer for their son, Austin, and they just asked for God's will in him being com- becoming part of the prison SWAT team. Now, don't get me wrong, he's not in prison, he works in the prison. And uh, they have with a SWAT team, I don't know the details of it, and he's thinking about joining that, and so he's just asked for prayer on it. Penny asked for prayer a couple of weeks ago, and two men um, her, and her company, they were doing something for the gas company, I'm not sure exactly what it was, and they were severely burned. There was actually three men, one wasn't so severe, he was able to go to the hospital and then go home, but the other two were in the hospital for quite a while. Well, they're back on the job now, and they're doing much better, Penny said, and so um, it's great that we had the opportunity for, to pray for them, and God seems to be doing a work of of healing in their lives. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we do come before you and we thank you, Lord, that you have entrusted us with the prayers of the saints. And so, Father, I pray that we would be a people, Lord, who are faithful in praying, that, Lord, we would seek you out at every opportunity, not just here when it's scheduled, but how much more so just as we're sitting in front of a computer and it comes across the email, as you bring these things back to our remembrance, that, Father, we would lift up these people and understand, Father, that as they are are going through through these hard things, they're reaching out to God through us. And so, Father, we intercede on their behalf, lifting them up to you, and just praying, God, that you would do a good work in their lives. I pray for Donna's friend, Anita, and just pray, Father, for her health, that you would completely restore her. I do pray, Father, for her relationship with you, that you would take this time, she would take this time to strengthen her relationship. And so, Father, we pray that you would restore her back to full health. Lord, I lift up my brother, Henry, and Lord, I don't know what you are doing in I do know, Lord, that you love him, and nothing can separate him from the love of God. I do know that all things work together for the good. And that being the case, Lord, I just pray for the great work that you're doing, even through Henry right now. I pray, Father, that you would be his peace and comfort, as even as he is in that coma, because you are greater than a coma. I pray, Father, that you would give him that peace and comfort, Lord, as he goes through this most difficult time. I pray, Father, for the opportunity to witness to his family. I had an opportunity even this afternoon as I met his aunt, and I know his daughter, who I didn't even know he had a daughter, was there. And so, Father, just do a a work in that family that you're glorified, even through this most difficult time. Father, I lift up Jeff and Desiree, their son, Austin, and just pray for your will concerning the SWAT team, and and Lord, just kind of giving a greater commitment to his job and and just pray father regardless of where he is at that you would be his protector and that you would be his comforter and that you would be his peace so i lift him up to you and just pray father that you would do a work in his life but you would reveal your will as well and then lastly lord i lift up these two men who were burned and and father was pretty severe but they've now been able to take off their bandages and they're progressing in their injuries and so father i just pray that you would bring them back to a full healing and so lord we lift them up to you we thank you for the opportunity that we have had to pray for them and just pray god that you would restore them to full health as well so lord we just thank you for this opportunity to pray Lord, right now, we just lift up our study tonight that you would inhabit it, that you would bless it, and that you would use it in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 44. Put your finger there and then turn over to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at some parallels to what's going on. I'll be referring back to Genesis chapter 3, but we'll, we won't be turning back there, but we'll start there and then move on into our study in Jeremiah, keeping in mind that Babylon has come in and they have conquered Judah and they basically have scattered Judah to the wind. There's a remnant. Well, Even as Babylon came in, they've now gone back. They established a governor there, and they went back. And so this governor is governing the land, and God has spoken, saying if they stay there and if they are obedient and till the land, God is going to bless them. Well, this rebel group has risen up and killed the governor and some of the king's men. The rest of the people are afraid now, and so they have taken off, and they have, contrary to the will of God, they have gone to Egypt. And so... First, in order to start our study and to kind of set it where, where, where I believe the Lord is leading us, I just want to look at the fall of man, and I want to look at Adam and Eve and what they were trying to do, and just look at the reality and how these things, they never really change. 
And so really what we have here in verse 6 is sin, as man has been a sinner from the beginning. This is the opportunity for sin to enter in. But we still see how the devil still works the same way, how sin still affects us. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her and he ate. And so again, we, we see this progression, if you want to call it that, but it's just the reality when it comes to sin. I've underlined in my Bible, when she saw it was good for food, there was the lust of the flesh. And then I underlined it was pleasant to the eyes, there was the lust of the eyes. And then I underlined desirable to make one wise, there's the pride of life. And man has been following through in this pattern since Israel has during the time of Jeremiah as well. It says, verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. The idea here is, is that they tried to hide their shame from the Lord, probably from each other, but more than likely from the Lord. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. They didn't want to be convicted. They understood the holiness of God because they spent time with God. They knew that very well, but they also understand now they're very far from it. And so man can be the same way. Now, how do we run and hide from God? Well, we do so by ignoring God's word. Because the word of God is that which convicts. The word of God is that which reveals. And at times, we'll shy away from God's word when we're in sin because we don't want to deal with it, or at least we're overly convicted because of it. Verse 9, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Well, this is the same thing that God is basically doing with Israel, really Judah, as they're in Egypt, through the prophet, he's yelling to them, where are you? And it's not like God can't find them. God wants them to consider where they're at. Adam and Eve, where are you? You used to walk with me in the cool of the day, this time of the day, every single day. Where are you? And so Adam and Eve would be of the mindset, we're covered with these fig leaves hiding in the bushes. Why am I covered with fig leaves why am I hiding in the bushes that man would come to the realization of his sin? And it can be the same thing with Judah. They should be hearing the word of the prophet. They should be convinced, convicted, and they should be of the mindset, where are we? What in the world are we doing back in Egypt? Again, verse 9, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. When he said, I heard your voice, keep in mind, I heard the word of God and I realized the sinner that I was. Instead of coming forth and dealing with it, I ran off and I hid. Now, let's turn back to Jeremiah as we see exactly what Judah is doing. Pretty much the same thing. So, when it came to Egypt, God told them not to go, but they went. Now, the majority of Judah, they're in Babylon. They had no choice. They were taken captives. But again, this is God's will. It's part of God's punishment. But we see that even though they are in Babylon, God has protected them. God has brought them into captivity. And Israel will go on to thrive in Babylon. As we studied Ezra and Nehemiah, we saw when Israel was going back to inhabit the land and to rebuild the temple, there were more Jews that were left in Babylon than went. There was only about 50,000 that went, and it's believed there was millions of the time that stayed in Babylon because they believed that they were doing pretty good. They got comfortable in the world. Alfred Edersheim, he's a perfected Jew. He's written a couple of books, one of them, Jesus the Messiah. And in that book, he makes the statement during Jesus' time even, there were more Jews living in the area of Babylon than there were in Israel as well. And so the, these Jews, they didn't have a choice. They went, but it was according to the will of God and they even thrived there. Not that they should have stayed there, but nonetheless, it was God's will that they go there. It was part of what he was doing in their lives. But again, there was that remnant that was left. Now, each time when Israel was panicking, here comes Babylon, what do we do? Jeremiah says, this is of the hand of God. 
is just stop and submit yourselves to them. This is what God desires. But they refuse to do it. Now this remnant, they're, they're very concerned because one of the guys has risen up. They dealt with this guy, but nonetheless, they killed Babylon's representative. And now they're worried Babylon's going to be coming back. And they asked the prophet, what do we do? We looked at this last week. And he says, just stay here and you'll do well. All will be well with you. God will protect you. But no, they decided to go to Egypt for protection. The idea here is, and again, we looked at this concept last week, instead of coming to God for my protection, they're going to the world for their protection. They had a choice, and they decided to go according to their own understanding rather than God's will. That's a hard thing, going according to our own understanding versus according to God's will. See, my own understanding, what may seem good, what may feel good, is right before me. The will of God... I've got to do that by faith. And that can be a hard thing. And they needed to do that based upon, well, past history and how God has moved, how the prophet, he hasn't been wrong up to this time, but nonetheless, they went according to their own understanding. The problem with their own understanding, that's what got them into the situation in the first place. As we closed last week, we saw a very sad fact that because of their disobedience, they're right back where they started from. Again, just think of it. Here we go, Israel's delivered, and what a great day they were when they were delivered from Egypt. Yeah, they went through the wilderness for 38 years, but then they entered into the promised land. God went before them, and the enemy, for the most part, was expelled from the land. And they inhabited their inheritance, and it was just a joyous time. And they thrived, at least when they were obedient. When they were disobedient, they didn't. But nonetheless, the hand of God was upon them, and there they are in the land that God promised. Now, if you were part of this group that went back to Egypt during Jeremiah's time, you would think, it's over. Here, here we are. We're back where we started from. We're back subservient to Egypt, and the promised land, for the most part, is void of our presence. Now, there were still, I'm sure, Jews in the promised land, but for the most part, it was emptied of them. And just think of that. After all of these years... We're right back where we started from. A Christian concept. It is never good to return to what God has delivered you from. But nonetheless, even though we'll know it's not a good thing at times, we'll all do it. We saw a defeated Peter. He basically told the rest of the guys after he couldn't live up to his own expectations, telling the Lord that he would die for him even. Peter convicted and he just told the rest of the guys, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to the old life. I'm going back to how it was three years previous before Christ met me that time. He said he was going to make me a fisher of men, but apparently it didn't really work out. Well, for Peter, we know the Lord met him there and brought him back into his fold. There was a young man, a rich young ruler. He was right there. He was at the threshold of grace. He was right before God, and he was telling him, I, I do everything. I, I fulfill the law. What else is needed? And, and Jesus told him, nah, you're not fulfilling the law. I'm paraphrasing. You're not fulfilling the law. Matter of fact, you haven't even done the first commandment. You've got another God before me, which is your riches. Go and sell all the stuff that you have, and then come follow me. And the rich young ruler went back to his life. He went away sorrowful, we're told. There was a man, Demas. He was in the midst of ministry, and Paul said that he was a brother, and he was of good use to him. And Demas had to see a lot of the great things that the Lord had done. Many people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and miracles performed and all of this, but eventually he forsook the ministry because he had a love for the world and went back. And at each one of these people, just since we're using them as an example, God could have said, where are you? Peter, I'm on a boat. The funny thing about Peter is, you never caught a thing. You never see him catching fish, but you do see him catching men. And so, where's Peter? Yeah, I'm back on a boat. And I can imagine, yeah, here I was, back to where I was three years ago, and, and just how hard that be. Rich young ruler, I, I, I heard of this man and how great he was, and I was there, but unfortunately, the rich young ruler, in essence, what he was doing was trying to exalt himself rather than humble himself. Demas, I was on the mission field. Have you heard of Paul? I was right there. I spent time. I traveled with him. I slept in the same room with him. I, I, I was there with him every step of the way. Why aren't you there anymore, Demas? 
And again, he, it would reverberate within his heart because I loved the world more than I loved what God had called me to do. In Second Peter, Peter addresses this concept of going back <clears throat> in very vivid terms. In verse 18 of Second Peter chapter 2, Speaking of false teachers, it says, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through the lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, and and you can equate this with the leaders of the Jews who have brought them back to Egypt. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome. By him also he is brought into bondage. For after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it and to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow or a pig, having washed uh, washed to her wallowing in the mire. The idea here is is that these people have come to Christ, but they're looking for another way when in fact there is no other way and they have rejected God's true way of salvation and they've gone back to the old life. And really what you see here is this isn't about losing salvation because you've got this dog returning to vomit. You've got this pig going back to the mire. What are they doing? They're doing what comes natural to them. I mean, how many people here have a dog? How many people here have seen dog do some pretty disgusting things? Well, that's just what dogs do. That's dog being a dog. A pig, you can clean it up. You can put lipstick on the pig. But sooner or later, if he sees a good pit of mire, that's where his desire is. And the, 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 the point here is, is these people were never transformed. They were never born again. They were never changed. And so when the opportunity came for the vomit or the, the mire, they went back to it. They went back to it with a vengeance. Why? Because you can say it was the natural thing for them to do. So even after God told back in Jeremiah, even after God told them not to, the remnant of Judah has returned to the slop. They've returned to Egypt. Now, a theme of last week's study was the one thing that history teaches us is that we learn nothing from history. Now, they had this short-term lesson that they should have gotten, and Jeremiah is going to play off of that. You've just seen Babylon come in. You've seen what Babylon has done to the officials and how they have killed them. You've seen how he has taken captive Zedekiah and how he has put his eyes out after having to himself, Zedekiah, having to watch his son murdered and his noblemen murdered. And you see how they've come in and they destroyed the city and they burnt the temple. You've seen all of these things. God, God has told you through the prophet Jeremiah that these things were going to happen and now he has done them. And now... You've asked me, Jeremiah could say, should we go to Egypt? And I said, no, and here you are, you're in Egypt. Why haven't you learned the lesson? Why? Because a dog returns to his own vomit and a pig to the slop. And here, these people who are supposed to be God's people are returning back to the world. And we can just see the truthfulness of God's word in all of this. Matter of fact, our nation needs to be a nation that wakes up. We need to be praying for it because we see the reality of God. Now, I'm not saying that our nation was this huge godly nation, but at least our nation was founded on biblical morals and for the most part kept biblical morals, even all the way through as recently as the 50s or so. And, you know, I know there's unbelievers that keep them today as well. But looking at it collectively as a nation, as we kept biblical morals, look how the nation was blessed. Now look what our nation has been reduced to. Why? Because we move further and further away from the Lord and further and further away from biblical morals. Now, when you move further away from the Lord and you move further away from biblical morals, you're creating a vacuum. And what's it going to be filled with? the flesh, the world, and the devil. There's just no way around that. And the nation is that which, our nation is that which experiences it. And I'm obviously speaking in, in general terms, painting with a broad brush. 
Now in Jeremiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 2, it says, Now it happened when Jeremiah had speaking to all the people all the words of the Lord their God. Now they had asked Jeremiah, should we go to Egypt? And Jeremiah specifically told them what God told them, and God said no, summing up the previous chapter, chapter 42. He spoke all the words for which God, the Lord their God, had sent him to them. All these words that Azariah, the son of Hashiah, Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the proud men spoke and saying to Jeremiah, you speak falsely. Now that's what they've been saying all along before Babylon came in. Then Babylon came in and destroyed him. He wasn't speaking falsely, but he didn't tell them what they wanted to hear. These guys, he didn't tell them what they wanted to hear. And so now again, they're accusing him of the same thing. You speak falsely. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, do not go to Egypt to dwell there. So again, as we saw last week, they're wanting to go according to their own understanding. Now we enter into chapter 44, and we have Jeremiah's last recorded message to God's people. Verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews who dwelt in the land of Egypt, who dwelt at Migdol, at Tepanahes, at Noph, in the country of Paphros, saying, all of that just to say they're in Egypt now. Some of those towns are pretty much borderline border towns in between um, uh, the area of the Nile River and Israel. But at this point... They have taken, now why is Jeremiah there? They more than likely have taken him by force. He didn't have much of a choice. And there they are, there in Egypt. There seems to be some sort of gathering at this time, either of all the people or the leaders. And God gives Jeremiah an opportunity to speak to the people so that the people would hear the voice of their Lord God. And really, what what should have happened, they should have been convicted by what they have done. They should have turned around and gone back, because God always allows you to turn around and to go back. It's repentance. At this point, it's about 580 B.C. Jeremiah, he's been speaking God's word for some 46 years. Can you imagine? 46 years. 46 years of hard ministry. 46 years of being accused of being a liar. 46 years and you've been accused of being a false prophet. He's been, as we've seen many times, he's been in prison, he's been beaten, he's been abused. No one has gotten saved, but Jeremiah has not been called to save people. No one has taken heed to the warning that he has given, for the most part, but that's on them. That's between them and God. No one has received, basically, of his ministry, but as the prophet has been responsible, the people are now culpable. And so the disaster that has come upon them is their own fault. Now, Paul took and made a point of what Jeremiah is. The Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul was constantly looking for leaders to put into the work of ministry as he was planning churches. He needed to populate the church with leadership, with pastors, and with leaders. And Paul came to a conclusion in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And you can look at Jeremiah and say, Jeremiah was a failure. He, not, nothing ever happened. Nobody ever got right. But no, Jeremiah, he, he, he was successful beyond measure. How can you say that? Because this man, if he was nothing else, this man was faithful. The ultimate description of faithfulness is dedication void of complete understanding. Just knowing that this is what God has called me to do, This is what I'm going to do. So really what Jeremiah is, is the opposite of what these people are at this point. Dedication, void of complete understanding. God wants us to stay in in Judah? He wants us to stay here? Well, if that's what God wants us to stay, then that's what we should do. I mean, that would have been faithfulness. But since they didn't understand, they weren't dedicated to what God called them to do, and they went to Egypt. And so we see this man, Jeremiah, and how... Well, he was very successful because we so often define success in human terms. This is success in the sight of God. You need to evaluate your ministry. You need to evaluate your Christian life. And you need to evaluate what success is in that. And really, it's easy to do. Are you being faithful in what God has called you to do? Are you just simply be faithful? If you're faithful with all of your heart, you'll be great in the kingdom of God. But so often we so look at others. 
We look at what God has done or is doing with others, and we'll define success that way. And with myself, I had to learn not to look at other churches because I haven't been called to pastor other churches. I've been called to pastor this church. I haven't been called to pastor other people. I've been called to pastor you. And the way I see it, as long as I do well here, as long as I do well with you, then I'm doing what God has called me to do. If you go upside down, spiritually speaking, it'll break my heart, but that's on you. Because I know, just as Paul said in Acts chapter 20, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And that's what Jeremiah did. He declared to them everything that God gave to him, he delivered to them. There's this, one of my favorite sections of scriptures in 2 Samuel chapter 23. I'll read verses 11 through 12. There was a man who has been given an assignment, Shammah. Shammah, I think, was probably one of those people that was probably always wanting to do something, and he was probably a pain. He probably was not that great of a warrior, at least in the sight of men. It said, but he, he, he made the Bible just simply because he was faithful. And Shammah, the son of Ai, the Herite, the Philistines had gathered together into a troop, and there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines, but he, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defeated it, I'm sorry, defended it, and killed the Philistines, so the Lord brought about a great victory. So this guy's wanting to do something, and I can imagine, you know what, go guard the bean field. Because, I mean, who really cares about the bean field? Well, that just happened to be the place of attack. That was the hot area. And so I would imagine that was very lightly defended. It was probably him and just a couple of other people because it said people fled. So there had to be somebody with them. But when they saw the enemy coming, they left. But what did this man, Shamas, think? They told me to guard the bean field. I'm going to guard the bean field. There's a mess of Philistines that are coming down the road there. There's more of them. They're probably better, they're, they're, they're better armed than I am. But if this is what God wants me to do, this is what I'm going to do. Maybe God's given you some old bean field to guard. But this man, as he guarded this old bean field, not only did God include him in the Bible, then God also brought a great victory because that man stood strong in the face of opposition in a situation that maybe didn't make sense to him but he knew he needed to remain faithful. Faithfulness is a common description that Paul uses to describe a true minister of Jesus Christ. Timothy is described as the beloved and faithful son. Tychicus is described as a beloved brother and faithful minister. Epaphras, our dear fellow servant and faithful minister. Anisimus, a faithful and beloved brother. Peter describes Silvanus, our faithful brother. Jesus describes in the book of Revelation, Antipas, my faithful martyr, the saved of Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. And so, above all, it's important that a steward, those who've been given the riches of the master to take care of us, it's important that we be found faithful. And so as we have all things available to us for the purpose of ministry, faithfulness is up to us. God has not asked us to be entertaining, funny, dynamic. He just wants faithfulness from his servant. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. This needs to be the cornerstone of all of our service. So here we have Jeremiah, the one who is faithful, standing in the face of those who are faithless. Now remember, the things God has said would happen in the past have come to pass are for the purpose of us, of man knowing that what God said is going to happen in the future is going to happen in the future. So the short of it, they should have heard this message from Jeremiah and realized, we saw this last time, Jeremiah said that Babylon is going to come in and conquer Egypt and they will be conquered as well. They should have understood that that is going to happen based upon past experience. We need to understand the future prophecies of the Lord are going to come to pass as well. And since we've used up the majority of our time and we've only done one verse, we better get going. 
And so Jeremiah gives an explanation of past calamity, verses 2 through 6. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You have seen all the calamity that I have brought on Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah, and behold, this day they are a desolation, or they're destroyed, and no one dwells in them, because of their wickedness which they have committed to provoke me to anger, and that they went to burn incense and to serve other gods, small g gods, whom they did not know, they nor your fathers. However, I have sent you to my servants, the prophets, or I have sent to you, my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing, which I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their wickedness to burn no incense to other gods. So my fury and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, and they are wasted and desolate as it is this day. Again, this is this Adam, where are you moment that they would stop and realize, where are we? We're no longer in in the, the allotment of land God has given us. We're no longer in Jerusalem. There is no temple anymore. We're in Egypt. How did we get here? And so God, through the prophet, is seeking to awaken them to their sins and where their sin has brought them, that they have gone from the land of milk and honey to the place, once again, of slavery and bondage. And that's, that's a good way to evaluate your actions. Where is it that it has brought you to? We look at the pregnancies, abortion, and tr- sexually transmitted diseases, and this is where the sexual relation—I'm sorry—sexual revolution has brought us to. This is where promiscuity has brought us to. I mean, we're really—we're legalizing. We've legalized, I should say, marijuana, and we see the destruction that drugs have done to our society, and now we're making it part of our society. It's like we're building this time bomb inside of our society to destroy it. And they're talking about legalizing other illegal drugs as well. And as we do these things, we're destroying ourselves. We can't even get a handle on alcoholism. We can't get a handle on alcohol abuse. I mean, just look at drunk driving and how to out of control all that is. And now we're bringing pot into the equation. I mean, this is just simply insanity. But man just doesn't change. Still man's sinful nature. When God says that he sent to you all of my servants, the prophets, he's telling them that I sent my word to warn you. Remember, God sends us his word. When we ignore his word, he raises his voice by sending the prophet. When we ignore the prophet, he raises his voice by sending the trial and tribulation. And so his word is sufficient for a warning, conviction, for repentance, and even for forgiveness. But there they stand in their own vomit in Egypt. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2-3, through three, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and teaching, for the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their itching ears, or their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. The word, the word, the word will convince. This means to convict. The word, as it is being taught, it will convict somebody for the purpose of correction as they are conducting their lives in an ungodly manner. The word will rebuke. This is to bring somebody to the point of repentance. And the word will exhort. This is to build them back up. Jeremiah then makes a declaration of the present situation, verses 7 through 10. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, why do you commit this great evil against yourselves to cut off from you man and woman, child and infant out of Judah, leaving none to remain, and that you provoke me to wrath the works of your hands, burning incense to other gods in the land of Egypt, where you have gone to dwell, that you may cut yourselves off and be a curse and a reproach amongst all the nations of the earth. Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers, the wickedness of the kings of Judah, the wickedness of their wives, your own wickedness and the wickedness of uh, of your wives which they committed in the land of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? They have not been humbled to this day, nor have they feared they have not walked in my law or in my statutes that I set before you and your fathers. Our God is a jealous God when it comes to his people. Again, he is not jealous of us, but God is jealous for us. He desires all the affections of our heart, and they are due to him. But we see how his people continually committed adultery against him. 
Now, why does God use adultery as an example of Israel's unfaithfulness? Well, first of all, they were to be his bride. But second, if you extrapolate this all the way to the end, what was the penalty for adultery? It was death. And it's not that God's killing them all, but they've seen death. And now they've even seen the death of the blessings of God uh, uh, from God into their lives, and they're experiencing all of this. And the Lord, the Lord made it very clear even before they entered into the land in Deuteronomy. It's also mentioned in Exodus chapter 20, but in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6 through 10, I, and, and this just lends authority to these commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to the house of bondage. So by the power of God, they were delivered from Egypt by the flesh of men, they're back there. Verse 7, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, nor shall you bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And so they're experiencing exactly what God said they would experience. So in the midst of Egypt, they need to consider, and really what we need to consider, what are they doing here? Are they really hiding from Babylon? Not really, because Babylon is a servant of the Lord to achieve his will. What they're hiding from is they're hiding from God. They're not only hiding from God, but they're also hiding from their sin, from their disobedience. They're going back there, and they're hoping that, well, just like Jonah. Jonah, what was he? He was in the bottom of the boat going to the end of the world. He was going to, going to this far-off country, and as he was going off to Spain, this was the last country just before you would go out into the Atlantic. And so in their mind, this was the end of the world. And Jonah was going to go to the end of the world to hide from God. The problem is... You're dealing with an omnipresent God, and you can't hide anything. All things, all things need to be dealt with. Next, Jeremiah gives a revelation of the future in verses 11 through 14. Jeremiah has already addressed this, but it says in verse 11, Therefore, because of previous, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will set my face against you for catastrophe and for cutting off all of Judah. And I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to go into the land of Egypt to dwell there, and they shall all be consumed and fall in the land of Egypt. They shall be consumed by the sword and by the famine. This is war and the effects of war. And they shall die from the least to the greatest by the sword and by famine. And they shall be an oath and an astonishment, a curse and a reproach. For I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. So that none of the remnant of Judah who have gone into the land of Egypt to dwell there shall escape or survive, lest they return to the land of Judah to which they desire to return and dwell, for none shall return except those who escape. And the idea is those whom the Lord allows to escape. We're not going to turn there, but in Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, it just speaks of the judgment of God as it starts to come upon the people. And really what you see is, is just a complete cross-section of society that this judgment is coming upon. It's coming upon kings, and it's coming upon leaders. It's coming upon slaves, mighty men and free men and commanders. Everybody who is disobedient to the Lord will receive this judgment from the Lord. And then we have the rejection of the warning, verses 15 through 19. Then all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to other gods, with all the women who stood by, a great multitude, and all the people who dwelt in the land of Egypt, and Pathos answered Jeremiah, saying, so this was collective opinion here, as for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. But we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth to burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we have done. And we and our fathers, our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and to the streets of Jerusalem, for then we had plenty of food and were well off and saw no trouble. But since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, 
We have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. The woman also said, And when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, did we make cakes for her to worship her and to pour out drink offerings to her without our husband's permission? Now, they're just speaking of idolatry here. They're using just one aspect of idolatry that was common both to husband and wife. And this was really, when it speaks of the queen of heaven, it's speaking of Ishtar, the mother of Tammuz. Tammuz was a fertility god. And according to mythological literature, Tammuz was killed by a wild boar and went to the underworld, and this tragedy brought about winter. Do you see how ridiculous this is? I mean, my grandkid wouldn't believe this stuff, but you see how deceived man can be. So Tammuz was killed by this boar, went to the underworld, and this brought about winter. The tradition here goes, each year his wife Ishtar would rescue him and bring his return, which brought the return of springtime and the rebirth of nature. The worship of Tammuz was very depraved, it was vile, it was filled with sexual immoralities of all kinds. It was out-and-out paganism. Ishtar, that's where we get the word today for Easter. Has paganism entered into how we worship today? And we here, and we'll just take songs, just real quickly, as a vehicle for worship and examine it that way. We scrutinize the, the, the lyrics of our, our worship to make sure that there's nothing pagan that has entered in. We're mindful of the methods of ministry that we use here so that we would know and understand that we have not given ourselves over to the ways of the world because the ways of the world have permeated into the church today. And so those of Judah were of the mindset of how well things were going before they just forgot. Now, what happened is, is that they confused the patience and the long-suffering of God with a perceived blessing of a false god. And as they have done that, they have done that to their own detriment. God was giving them time to repent, but they continued to worship this false god. And they attributed the peace that they had during that time, during this long-suffering of God, to the blessings they received from this false god. And then we have a cry for caution, verses 20 through to the end of the chapter. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the people, the men and the women, and all the people who had given him that answer, saying, The incense that you burned in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings, your princes, and the people of the land, did not the Lord remind them that it did not come into his mind, so that the Lord could no longer bear it because of the evil of your doings and because of the abominations which you committed? Therefore your land is a desolation and an astonishment, a curse, and without an inhabitant as it is this day. He says, basically, you can go over there and look at Jerusalem. It's ruined and it's empty, verse 23. Because you have burned incense and because you have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord nor walked in his way, in his statutes or in his testimonies, therefore this calamity has happened to you as at this day. Moreover, Jerusalem, I'm sorry, Jeremiah. Moreover, Jeremiah said to all the people and to all the women, Hear the word of the Lord, all Judah who are in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, You and your wives have spoken with your mouths and fulfilled with your hands, saying, We will surely keep our vows that we have made to burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her. You will surely keep your vows and perform your vows. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all Judah, who dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name. Now, God's great name denotes the nature and the essence of who he is. It's described in detail in Exodus chapter 34, and we see that God is gracious, he's loving, he's long-suffering, but also God will exercise judgment as well. Before, behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah and all the land of Egypt, saying, The Lord God lives. Before, behold, I will watch over them for adversity and not for good. And all the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end to them. Yet a small number who escaped the sword shall return from the land of Egypt 
to the land of uh, Judah and all the remnant of Judah who have gone to the land of Egypt to dwell there shall know whose words will stand, mine or theirs. And this shall be a sign to you, says the Lord, that I will punish you in this place and that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for adversity. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh Hopra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies and into the hand of those who seek his life, as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, his empty enemy who sought his, excuse me, his life. So this last cry of caution here. God is saying, when you see these things come about, then you will know that I am God. You will know that these things come from me. Now, he's been speaking of the judgment that's going to come upon them. When they see Babylon come in, they'll know that these things are happening. When they see themselves being slain, they know this is of the hand of the Lord. But before that, before that happened, in 570 B.C., Pharaoh Hophra, he was removed from his throne by a rebellion in his army. The general who led the rebellion became the new pharaoh. Three years later, Hophra was assassinated by strangulation. Shortly after that, Nebuchadnezzar invaded Egypt and the prophecy of Jeremiah was fulfilled. We have both God's book and we have the history book that bear these things out. And you'll see that in the history of your country. You'll see that in the history of your life. Both God's book and the history book bears out the promises of God that there's blessings for obedience and there's cursings for disobedience. Matthew chapter 21, verse 44, whoever falls on this stone will be broken. Whoever submits their life to Jesus Christ, you'll be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. So the choice is ours, to fall on that or to have it fall upon us. If we cast ourselves upon the Lord, we'll be saved. But if we do, if we do not, then there's going to come that time of judgment. It's the way God has always worked in the past. It's as he has said he was going to do something, and he has done it. As he said he was going to bring judgment, and he has. It's the same way that God is going to work in the future as well. Father, I just pray that we would take note of these things and that we would embrace these things. And that, Father, even as we've seen how your word has played out in the past, it just gives us confidence and hope and an understanding in how your word is going to play out in the future. And, Father, as we see our future, Lord, as we see the future of the world and we see the future of the disobedience, I pray, Father, we also see the future of the church as we see both here on earth and in heaven, and we see, Father, just how you have blessed us and how you have given us privileged position. And for that, God, we just rejoice. And so, Father, we just thank you again for your word. We thank you that you have blessed us. I pray, Father, that we would gather these concepts, that we would, that we would learn to recognize obedience and disobedience. And I just pray, Father, in the midst of it all, we would just simply remain faithful. So, Father, again, we just lift up tonight that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please? We have a sign-up sheet in the sign-up area for both Vacation Bible School, if you desire to serve there, and also for dinner and devotion. This Sunday is going to be the last day to sign up if you want to participate in that. Other than that, God bless you guys. Have a safe trip home. Good night. Thank you.
you guys and have a good rest of your week.